0: Different churches and different environments I've been in. Um, but actually, worship is just a function of who I am, but it is not who I am, if that makes sense. And I want to unpack that a bit with you this morning. Um, you see, there's more to our identity than just the function we perform in life. And, um, and there's more to, in, to our identity than a title or a role or something that we get a season to do. And um, there's two sort of sections to what I want to talk about this morning. One is Identity as whose we are rather than who we are. And the second piece is identity not equating to function. And um, I just hope that the Lord will speak to you as I unpack some of this this morning. So why don't we pray to start and um, we'll take it from there. Yeah, Jesus, may you be glorified this morning. May we find ourselves just joining with... worship, the praise, the adoration that's already happening in heaven this morning, and um, becoming a part of that. And Lord, I pray that you will speak as we open scripture together, as we hear story together, and as we unpack this whole concept of identity together, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start with a scripture that you probably all know really well, which is Matthew 3, um, verse 13 to 17. Oh, and sorry, before I jump into that, quick warning, there will be top participation this morning um, i know we're not part of the pentecostal denomination here but um, but i will ask for some responses and some stuff so just prepare yourselves uh, for that i'm giving you due warning um, so yeah so in matthew 3 we um, we see this this passage here so jesus came from galilee to the jordan to be baptized by john but john tried to deter him saying i need to be baptized by you and do you come to me jesus replied passage right here is packed with awesomeness. Um, there's this image and I'm going to try and uh, try to erase the Sunday school paintings images from your head, you know with the, the Swedish version of Jesus getting baptized and the like the, the, the dove sort of coming down with the rainbow behind it. The, the actual word used in the original language that this was written in for the heavens opened is the same word that Isaiah used when he talked about God rending the heaven which is like a tearing, a tearing open of something. So it's pretty awesome, it's pretty massive what was happening here, but then there's this massive juxtaposition of the piece of the dove resting on Jesus. So it's a pretty awesome picture. But what I'd like to suggest to you this morning is that is not the most awesome part of this image. The most awesome part is this. This is my son. I am well pleased. Now, first bit of participation, I did warn you. Um, Why is this so amazing? How many recorded miracles were there in Scripture that Jesus had performed by this point? Big fat zero. Had Jesus gone out to the wilderness, fasted for 40 days, and been given power from on high to go and do his ministry yet? No. In fact, I think the main story we hear about Jesus was him freaking out his parents when he got lost in the temple that time. And they were looking for him. So that's a pretty amazing thing to know that God was saying, "My son, in whom I am well pleased." Yet, in terms of His miraculous ministry, He hadn't done anything yet. <laughs> and this is, and this, this is, I promise, the, the biggest word I'll use this morning: approbation. It's where you lay praise, where you greatness, bridge someone without them even necessarily having done anything. And this is what god was doing to his son jesus he was approbating him and my story with jesus starts with this sort of marker um, i was brought up in a christian family an awesome christian family um, we're born and bred in belfast in northern ireland which is one of the coolest cities in the world um, and um, but i reached the age of like 14 15 and did not like this identity of inheriting my parents faith so as some people do when they get to that age of life, I became a little bit arrogant and said, I'm going to just go and search out this thing for myself. And actually, I wasn't going to search this thing out for myself. I was just going to let it go and live the life I wanted to live. So I, threw God, I threw Jesus to one side. And the next 10 years, I descended from someone who was a bit unsure about their faith into someone who worshipped hedonism, who worshipped alcohol, drugs, the whole lifestyle, the whole thing that came up with that. And by the age of 24, 25 was a complete mess. And the situation I wanna take you to, a really really key picture in my life was, um, I'd been involved with a situation, it was to do with um, a drug dealer and it had scared the living daylights out of me. I'd been threatened in a way I'd never been threatened before. And in that moment, Every single friend I thought I had, every single circle around me, I saw for what it really was, which was something there to use me, not something there to give me life. So in one moment, on one evening, about 22 years ago, my life pretty much fell apart. And in that moment, I got beside my bed in my little ramshackle one-bed apartment in Milton Keynes, the least glamorous town of the UK, and prayed a prayer, which was, God, if you're there, I need you to get me out of here. I had no big theology to put behind that. I had no great big, oh, if I pray this way, God will answer and everything will be cool. I just, in desperation, cried out, God, if you're there, will you get me out of here? And he did. Within four weeks, it was as if I had been plucked up and removed from that city and placed in another removed completely from the circumstances that had surrounded me. And the whole thing about this was, God entered into my life and made me his son even though I had done nothing to deserve it. I felt the approbation of you've done nothing yet, but it's whose you are that is important. You are my son, I am your father, I will help you here. And that was a turning point in my life. And then everything was great. I went into a church, um, ministry was amazing, and everything went without any problems for the rest of our days. <laughs> it's been great to be with you this morning. No, um, <laughs> of course it didn't. This was the start of a longer journey, and this is the start of my story in terms of finding my identity in Christ and living that out. Because as I said earlier, it's a battleground, and it's something we have to fight with. So, when I got back into our church, we were living in a town called Tunbridge in the southeast of England at this time, um, and I, I got invited onto the worship team. One thing that I didn't lose during my prodigal years was my love for music, and it was something that, that kept me going. It was something I always had my guitar with me wherever I moved, I was always listening to music and always using it as a way of expressing myself in a deeper way. Um, so, I was invited to be part of the worship team. I met this wonderful girl called Ellie. Um, And um, the the way we met is another story altogether, which I'll happily share with you over coffee or something sometime. Um, But even then, even though God had saved me in this miraculous way, even though I'd been invited into all these really amazing opportunities in leading worship, in a new job, in a new place to live, all that sort of stuff, um, there were identity traps all around me. I found myself becoming the person who wanted to be the worship guy, wanted to be the one who was on platform on the Sunday, got a little bit of competitiveness about it. And I had to sort this out. This had to be something that was changed. So on this next slide, you'll see uh, an example. If you flip to the next one, Paul, that would be great. Um, Let's call this guy, um, I don't know, let's call him John. Um, He's the worship guy at church, and everything he does points to being the worship guy at church. He practices guitar. He loves being up there leading worship. He's got a heart for Jesus, but slowly over time, this identity as the worship leader starts to take over. One day, the worship director of the church comes to him and says, do you know what I think would be really beneficial? would be if you took six months out and just recalibrated your relationship with the Lord. And um, for this guy, John, that doesn't just mean a break from worship, that means identity crisis right there, because he's pointed all his efforts into performing this function. And there were moments in my early journey as a worship leader where I had these situations, both experiencing them myself as John, but also helping people walk through that who were experiencing the same thing. You see, and if you go back a slide here, John, you see, because there's, there's this great book, by the way, it's called How to Worship a King by a guy called Zach Nies, And he, he says this function, uh, he says this great quote, which is the question of who we really are and, un- and what we are uniquely equipped to do. This is identity because it's the primary motivation for every action we take in our lives. And you see, um, it wasn't just around worship leading that this happened for me. When Ellie and I first got engaged, um, it's usually supposed to be a time of real joy and celebration, isn't it? Engagement to the one that you love and the one the one you want to spend the rest of your life with. Um, for me, that whole thing of the one I'm going to spend the rest of my life with suddenly took me to identity crisis. Because I was like, I don't know how to be a husband. My life for the last 10 years had been very non-committal. I don't know how I'm going to be a father. I don't know how I'm going to support a household. I don't know how I'm going to do all of this. And I actually went into some sort of breakdown for the first three or four months that we were married. And in that, I was finding that I was indeed in my own identity crisis because I was trying to make sure I had all the functional identity ready to commit my life to Ellie. But I wasn't. You're not designed to be. You're designed to grow into these things as God works in your life. So I always remember I was in my car one lunchtime at work and I was praying this through, I was torturing through it again, going through the same prayers before, like, I'm going to fail, this is rubbish, I'm not going to be able to do this, should I even be engaged to early? is this going to work out, what are we going to do? And then I just felt in the silence this whisper say to me, it's okay not to know. And I remember my prayer turned from asking all these questions about whether I could into, God, I just don't know. And I found freedom in that moment. And I found a way of operating in my identity with God, rather than as my identity as the perfect husband or the perfect father or whatever I was being called to be. You see, when you form your identity around a function, when that function becomes the means of who you are, when that function is risked, you get identity crisis. And we've all probably had experiences in businesses, in work, in family, and in churches where mini battles and big battles start over this because someone's function changes, someone's role changes, someone wants to be in a particular functional role, and it's not meant to be. And I'm sure we've all got stories about that. I work um, with a tech charity, and we do some coaching with early-stage entrepreneurs, people who are starting their own business. And the biggest struggle that Christians have starting their own business is that their business becomes their identity. And when you know that six out of 10 new startups will fail, what happens when that happens to these people is that they get identity crisis. They don't know what to do with their life because it was all sewn up in this business or in this startup. And we see the same across many different sort of stratas of life. So here's another little bit of... um, Participation. Who has ever prayed this prayer? God, I just want you to use me. Anyone prayed that? I've prayed it. It's it, this is our this is our counselling moment where we get to all admit. So yeah, I've prayed it. Um, I've been like, use me to help build your kingdom. Use me to cast out demons. Prophesy over the world and do all these great things. Use me, Lord. Use me. Use me. So. Who would say on the back of that they want to be used by God? I, I would say I'd want to. But let's develop this a bit further. Who would want to be used by the significant other in their life? Their husband, their wife, their partner, their kids. Who would want to be used by the ruling political party of a country right now? Who would want to be used by their church. You see, you get the problem. We put this language on our relationship with God, but it doesn't quite work when we think about it elsewhere. You see, when you use someone or you get used by someone, you're being treated like a tool. You're being treated for your function, not your personhood. And this is um, where this quote that I came across probably about five years ago now, absolutely changed my life. And um, we'll get to that in a moment. I just want to develop this idea a bit further. So, what's this? A hammer, right? Its name is its function, right? What would I use this for? Hammering nails? I mean, I could try and use it to play the guitar. It might not end so well, but um, I could try and use it to make a cake batter up, but its name is its function. But what happens when the hammer gets broken? When the hammer gets broken, its name changes, it becomes garbage, it gets tossed on the pile, and it doesn't get used anymore for its primary function. You ever seen this happen to a person? So wrapped up in their function, that once they get broken in life, never see them again, they're gone. And I've seen this happen, sadly, too many times in people around me, in business, in church, in friendships. When someone is performing, they're elevated, they're lifted up, they're pedestaled. But once they get broken, there's no use for them anymore. The good news is, this is not God's view of us. And if there's one phrase, one quote that you take away with you this morning, I would love it to be this one. This. Because God did not create you to use you. He created you so that he could know you. And he wants to be known by you. This goes way beyond function, folks. This is the creator of the universe wanting two-way relationship with us. That goes beyond the function we can perform at any given time. That goes beyond our utility in the world into a dynamic living father son father daughter family relationship with the creator because god did not create you to so that he could use you he created you so that he could know you and he wants to be known by you so i've got several broken hammer stories in my own life Um, one of them is, is quite recent actually. So when Ellie and I um, were preparing to move to Canada in 2017, and just to give you a bit of context, this was not even a speck in our imagination in 2016. But we had a, a, a bunch of situations happen, a bunch of prayers that people were praying for us that seemed to prophesy over us that something was happening, something was gonna change in our lives quite significantly. We hadn't put a map of the world up and put a pin on Canada and said, that's the plan, we're gonna do that. Um, But I was invited by a Canadian pastor friend of mine to help him plant a church in Midtown Toronto, completely out of the blue. And I love this. It's like the church planter, getting all these prophetic words, getting these prayers and everything else. And this is going to be amazing. Um, We bet the farm on this. We left our home. We left our church of over 30 years um, that I was then the worship pastor of. We left a business that we were running in the UK. We picked up everything and we moved to Canada to plant the church. And it didn't work out. In all human terms, the church plant failed. Within 18 months, we were told it was being closed down. And all of this identity I'd built up as a church planter in a different country. I mean, how cool is that? And everything else was sort of crumbling down all around us, and people that we were working with were fast descending into identity crisis as well because they didn't know where to turn. And that quote that we just saw be a lifesaver because in that moment, we could have given up on God. We could have turned around. We could have said, this is not for us. This is the, the, the function that we came out here for has failed. Therefore, who are we but because I knew that God didn't create me so he could use me, but he wanted to know me and be known by me, meant that I could trust there was something else going on, that there was a plan that we just hadn't seen or worked out. And that plan was amazing. We, we played, prayed to God one day. I remember it really well. We said, God, you've got six weeks to tell us what the heck we are doing. Because I didn't have a job in six weeks. and um, We didn't have the income to pay rental on the excruciatingly expensive city of Toronto. And we and we were like, oh, and by the way, we don't have enough money to move back to the UK, God. So you've got six weeks to tell us what the heck's going on. One of those real gritty prayer moments. And to cut a long story short, six weeks to the day that we prayed that prayer, I got a phone call offering me a new job here in Canada. And, um, and God saved us from that situation. But It was because we could have lost our minds over that. We could have just packed up and left and tried to get back home and whatever, but God had a different plan, and it was because we knew God was good and he wanted to know how we reacted in that situation that made it so much more powerful than us just coming over for a failed reason. And you see, because of this, when our identity is formed out of that relationship rather than our function, instead of being a broken hammer it can look a bit like this and i'm sure you've seen this in sermon illustrations before has anyone ever seen kintsugi it's this beautiful japanese art where they take broken pottery and they put it back together using gold leaf and i just think it's just a beautiful representation of when our identity is formed in god and in christ and in who we are in knowing him and him knowing us our wounds can become beautiful markers of how we've been able to grow through the process of life with him instead of threats to our core identity or a reason to be thrown on the garbage pile. And just to add more to this, Jesus dealt with this very issue and it's, it's shown really clearly in Matthew chapter 27, verse 21 to 23. You'll probably recognize this scripture It's when Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And I don't think we should minimize this. I think there's a massive spiritual deception at large, not just in the world, but also in the church sometimes, which is what some might know as the religious spirit, where what you do, what you work at, your human efforts somehow get you into favor with God, which just turns us into people of function. And what did Jesus say about those who were just using the credits of acts they performed? He was like, hang on, I didn't know you. When did we get the opportunity for relationship? You can be busy doing all that stuff. And a lot of that, yeah, casting out, prophesying and all that is generally good stuff. But it looks like here the core for Jesus is that he knows us and we know him. We had to learn this through that toughest period our little family had ever faced in in, in moving to Canada and then realizing that the reason we moved wasn't the reason we moved. We had to spend tough yards getting to know God better, getting to know Jesus better, getting to know how to walk through this as a family. Because God's desire for relationship destroys religious performance mentality. Uh, Paul knew this really well, and um, in 1 Corinthians, he talks, he, he talks about this, um, where he says, for now, we see only a reflection, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is now partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely." Because God didn't create us to use us. He created us so that he could know us and so that we could know him. You see, the problem with this religious spirit is that it declares, I am because I do. When we form our identity out of relationship with God, we do because we are. You see, as we get formed in our identity, our relationship with Christ, the works come out of that. It's not the other way around. You see, God moved in with the perfect timing for Ellie and I, that six-week prayer, and stepped in with a future plan that we could not have imagined. If we'd have tried to orchestrate that, we would have just made a merry old mess of it. But... It became an act of relationship and an act of obedience and an act of holding on to who God was rather than what we were trying to do at the time. And when, if you rewind to that moment where I prayed to God, if you're there, can you get me out of here? I think a great miracle happened there. Yeah, God rescued me from a life There was lots of miracles happening around that. But the greater miracle was this. He declared that what I had done did not, did not declare my worth and identity in him. He declared that by, by becoming his was where I would find my identity. And he would build on that. It's a glorious supernatural reversal. Do you see sort of the, the, the I do because of who I am rather than I am because of what I do? It's just beautiful. And then rewind right to the beginning of this moment where I talked about being part of the worship team. This is why worship is so important to me. Because I believe that it's in worship that we can find who we truly are in Christ. Because in worship, we take everything we've done, good and bad, we take everything that's in our mind, we take everything that's in our spirit, and we lay it down. And we say, before you, God, I lay it all down and that's the place where we pick up our true identity and relationship with him. We see God for who he is as we worship him. We unpack his character. We unpack all the different aspects we know of him which we're still discovering by the way and find who we are in that glorious place of relationship with him. And just to, to, to come into land and um, One final scripture that really takes this image of the the battle of religiosity versus sonship, daughtership, relationship, and and blows it to smithereens is this. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. I don't know about you guys, but one of my biggest fears is always, am I doing it right? Am I getting it right? Is this life thing, as I approach the age of 50, um, this, and this life thing is, am I doing all right? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I performing the function? And this says, no, your function is formed in your spirit of sonship that was given to you through Jesus through the fact that he opened the gates of heaven and allowed us to have relationship with God. And that means that we're not slaves to the fear of the religious spirit that would tell us we need to do X, Y, or Z to gain his favor and to get into relationship with him. And this changes, changes everything for me. This means that My life, probably in the last 10 years or so, has become so much more about invitation than it has about promotion. It's about looking for what God, my father, is inviting me into rather than trying to press myself forward and prove that I can do something and win favor that way. And it's also, and I've seen this in some leaders that I really respect and really love, that when that relationship is there and that security of that relationship is there, that vulnerability and authority can be at one together. That you can grow in both. The world sees vulnerability as weakness. In the kingdom of God, I believe when we have our identity formed in who we are in him, vulnerability and authority can go hand in hand. And we can be vulnerable without becoming the broken hammer it gets tossed to one side. Why is this? This is because God did not create us so that he could use us. He created us so that he could know us and he wants us to know him. Let's just pray together. I'll just leave some space and and ask some questions as we spend some time before the Lord. What's your primary identity? How has that been formed? Have you ever felt like you've been tossed on the garbage pile like the broken hammer? Have you ever been worn out trying to please God with what you do? Have you been worn out trying to maintain your identity as your function? Or have you ever grown distance from God as the business of function over presence and relationships took over? When did you last hear God say to you? You are my child. In you, I am well pleased. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you extend to us by even allowing us, giving us permission to come into family relationship with you, the creator of the universe. And Lord, I just want to pray for Anyone here this morning for whom part of this message has landed and they've thought, "Ah, oh, I need to recalibrate a little here. I need to refocus my energy or my relationship with the Lord rather than all in, in the things that I'm trying to do to please him. Lord, I pray you would release that from me again. I pray that you would release that from anyone here who needs that to happen this morning. And Lord, we thank you that you want to know us. We thank you that you open the way in your sovereignty for us to have that two-way relationship. And I pray, Father, that that will mean freedom for many here this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm now going to try and transition as smoothly as possible back onto the stage. Do we stand together?
1: You brought me to my